Good morning. Hope you're doing well. We're carrying on in our stories in the book of Acts this morning, looking at this book, which is it's kind of the history book of the church, written by Dr. Luke, historian and medical doctor, putting together the accounts of how it all began for the church. It began with Jesus, and then it carried on with Jesus, building his church. And the story that we get to today in Acts chapter 10, the story of Cornelius and Peter, it's really, really important. What happened here is is one of the most crucial episodes in the history of the church, at least it is for you and me. See, I'm not somebody who has Jewish origin. I imagine not many of us are in Ammonford. Um, so what happens here in this story means that this can happen, that people like me and probably you can worship the God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac and of Jacob, that we can call on the name of Jesus, the King of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, born and raised and ruling his kingdom beginning in Jerusalem and then spreading to Judea and then Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's where we are now, sitting here in Wales or wherever you are. Imagine you're somewhere in the ends of the earth. So we can do this. We can call on that God. We can be part of the fellowship of his Holy Spirit. We can be people who are not second class citizens anymore. We can be people who are actually part of his family as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the king, the king of kings. We can do that because of what happened in this story. We know that we're included, that we're a part of it because of Acts chapter 10. So let's read it uh, together. Acts chapter 10, we'll read the whole chapter, but we'll break it up into a couple of sections as we go through. So at Caesarea, Acts chapter 10, verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Okay, where was Caesarea? You need to know it was by the sea. So is Joppa, the other city that we'll come to later on in the story. They're seaside towns. Caesarea is a kind of port garrison city, a bit like Portsmouth or Sevastopol in Crimea, the kind of place where soldiers are shipped in from Italy, our Roman legions gather. And Joppa, well, it's a pretty ancient port city, uh, the place where Jonah once fled out into the sea away from God's call on his life. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. What you need to know, what you need to have in your imagination is the smell of salty sea air, is to feel sand in your sandals and a breeze in your face, mostly fresh, maybe a little bit fishy at times, but this is a seaside story. Okay, that's where we are. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. When a voice told, uh, then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, replied, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. See, the Jews had rules, they still do today, about what you can and can't eat. There were rules that 
weren't so much about the cleanliness of the animals that you were eating, but they were more about setting you apart as part of God's people. God had made a promise, a covenant to his people, to the people of Israel, and had lots of different ways in their traditions and the way that they lived their lives, lots of different things that marked them out as different from the people around them, as distinct. And the, the food rules were one of the most important things. You can read more about them in Deuteronomy chapter 14, if you like. What you ate marked you out as one of God's people. And so Peter says, no, I'm not eating those things that are on the banned food list because I'm one of your people, God. I don't do that. I've never done that. But the Lord says to him, the voice speaks a second time in verse 15, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask, to, uh, ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house as guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm not. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. You see, distinction between peoples. Gentiles over there, us in here, and what we eat is important because it kind of marks us out from those people. In fact, those rules had rolled on in Jewish history and had actually taken on a lot more kind of tradition um, than the laws in Deuteronomy set out, so that now it was it was a kind of almost a gag reflex for Jewish people to not spend time with, to not eat with, to not even associate with or visit a Gentile. That's what Peter says here. You know, you're well aware it's against our law, against our um, traditions for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That's what the vision was all about. Just what you could eat now. <laughs> Not just about being able to eat bacon and go to Joe's Cafe for a fry-up. Um, it's about not cutting off people, not discriminating against people. Did you hear that? God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was set out, uh, sorry, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? We'll pause there for a moment. What does that story teach us? Well, it teaches us that in God's church, we need each other. I wonder if you saw that, um, uh, what's his name? Cornelius, who's in Caesarea. Cornelius has half a kind of, half the story in his vision. There's a man called Peter you need to speak to. Go and send for him. And then Peter has half the story revealed to him in a vision. That he can eat certain kind of food and he's a little bit confused about it he's not really sure exactly what it means we are kind of getting to an understanding of what it means but they both have sort of half the story right Cornelius sent for Peter Peter 
don't call these things unclean that you used to call unclean. God has somehow made them pure. What does that mean? What's it all about? And then the messengers come and they've got a bit of the message. You need to come and speak to Cornelius. Why? Well, we're not really sure, but he wants to hear whatever it is you have to say. And then Peter turns up and he ends that little section with that question. Why have you sent for me? He's had a vision. He knows something, but he doesn't know everything. And Cornelius has had a vision and he knows something, but he doesn't know everything. And so we need each other in God's church. This is a Gentile, somebody from across the sea, from far away, from far away from God, not just physically far away. Somebody who feared God, who made sacrifices, who prayed, but he didn't really know God. He didn't really know about Jesus, as we'll see later on. That's what Peter's been sent to tell him. Cornelius knows some things, but he doesn't know everything. And Peter comes to help him. Peter doesn't know everything. You see, they have to put their heads together. They have to put their visions together. They have to bring what each of them has together. They need each other. And we need each other. In God's church, there shouldn't be any discrimination. You shouldn't ever be made to feel a second-class citizen. I wonder if you have. If you've ever been into a church and just felt like you don't really belong because of the clothes that you wear, or because of the translation of the Bible that you are carrying, or that you weren't carrying a Bible, or that you are a woman and not a man, and so you maybe felt like a second-class citizen, like you're not allowed to be a full part of things. Maybe it's because you're poorer, and you see the wealthier people, and they seem to be in the centre of things, and you're on the outside. Or maybe it's because you don't have kids, and the people with kids have loads of activities for them, but for you, I don't know, you just feel a bit lonely. Maybe it's because you come from a different country, and you speak a different language, and so church just feels alien to, to you, like you can't really get into the middle of it. There's all sorts of different reasons that might make us feel that we don't really belong, that we're not really part of it. But it shouldn't be like that. In God's church, everybody's welcome. Everybody who would come and bow the knee to Jesus is welcome around his table, welcome in his body, welcome in his family. If you're a Gentile from far across the sea and you've done who knows what with your life before, eating all the wrong foods, doing all the wrong things, speaking the wrong language, not even knowing anything about God, you're welcome. You can come close and be a part of it. You're not second class anymore. If you're a really religious person who knows all the right language to say in prayers, who knows all the right verses to look up, who knows all the books of the Bible in order and what's in each one of them, if you've been really religious and close to religious stuff, feeling like you're close to God all your life, well, look, you're no closer than somebody who's just started yesterday and doesn't know the first thing about Jesus. You see, we need each other. It's not even just that we're both welcome, but we need each other. We need men and women. We need old and young. We need rich and poor. We need people from every tribe and tongue and nation because that's who Jesus has called to be a part of his church. That's one of the things you'll see in this story as we carry on reading. Everybody has a little bit of the story and they keep repeating it to each other. That's what the church is supposed to be like. You're supposed to share what you know of Jesus with the people around you. Feed them with him. Speak Jesus to them. And if you don't know much, well, ask. You'll know something that somebody else doesn't know. Help the person next to you find that page in the Bible if you know where we're looking. Help that person who feels like they don't really belong to belong. Invite them out for coffee. Have them around for dinner. Get them involved in your rooted group. Come and get involved in a rooted group. Ask if you can help to look after the kids for the people who have kids and are just tearing their hair out because they're so busy and they can't concentrate. Or maybe if you have kids and there are other folks who who seem like they'd like to hang out with and spend time with the family, or I don't know, there's all sorts of different ways that we could help and serve each other, to give what we have so that we can all belong 
and be a part of this church together. That's the first big lesson that this whole story teaches us, is that we need each other. We need each other in the church. There should be no discrimination. Can I read you Ephesians chapter 2? This is a a good chunk of a reading from Ephesians chapter 2 later on in the New Testament, where Paul basically spells out what we've been saying just now. Remember, he says, that writing to Gentiles, he says that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away across the sea, miles in the distance, who once you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two that's making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So you're no longer foreigners, no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, this temple, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. You Gentiles, you people who are far away, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's Paul basically going through the story of Cornelius. So let's read on and see what happens next. We need each other in the church. Nobody, nobody should be on the outside. We shouldn't discriminate against anyone. Everyone belongs. So Peter says, what have you asked me here to say? And Cornelius answers, well, three days ago, we're in verse 30 now, if you want to follow along, Acts 10. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. Do you hear them repeating the story to each other? See, we need to speak to each other. Whatever you have, share it. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God doesn't show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. See, lots of people in this area had heard about Jesus. Jesus was a big public figure. His life was was well known. People knew a, a bit about Jesus. He did some amazing things. He preached some interesting stuff. But there was other things that they hadn't quite heard about yet. Peter goes on to that. Okay, you know that he was baptized. Sorry, that you know what has happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John had preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. Maybe they hadn't heard about that yet. But God raised him from the dead, and on the third day, on the third day, and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. 
by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in different languages and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, right back at the beginning of Acts. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him, with them for a few days. So if we learned in that first half that we need each other, all of us have a little bit of the story and we put it together in Jesus' church. We all belong. Well, if we need each other, the second part of this story shows us that we all need Jesus, even the best of us. We all need Jesus. That's what Peter had come to say. You've heard about Jesus. You heard about how he healed people, how he rescued people, how he came to bring peace to people. But you haven't heard about how he died and rose again three days later. I mean, literally came back to life. How he, he went out the back door of death, through it. Did you ever realise that death had a, a rear entrance? That death could be something that you go through and, and out of it again to the other side? Well, that's the message about Jesus that Peter preaches here. And what does that mean? Well, that he's risen again, it means that he's the king of everything. Did you hear how he speaks about Jesus? He's Jesus of Nazareth. Um, this is up in, um, uh, in verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing people who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. He was the one who God brought, God spoke peace into the world through. That's back in verse 36 as well. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. So put that all together. Jesus is the one who brings peace. Jesus is the one who defeats enemies, the devil. Jesus is the one who defeats death, who breaks through the other side and brings life and forgiveness of sins through his name to anybody who would come and bow the knee and recognize that he's the king. You see, all of us need Jesus, even the best of us. That's who Cornelius was. He was a man who had made a pretty good impression on people in lots of different ways. He's a centurion. That means he was over at least 100 soldiers. So he's a kind of rank of about captain um, in today's kind of British military, uh, a pretty well-respected officer in a, well, the military that ruled the day at the time. So he was well-respected in that kind of a way, but also well-respected by the people that he was there to subjugate. And somehow this guy, this soldier who was an occupying force, had made a good impression on the people around him because he feared God. He took God seriously and he prayed even at the right time of day, three o'clock in the afternoon, that's when they would pray at the temple and offer up incense as a kind of picture, a fragrant picture of their prayers. And that's what he does. He gives to the poor and says, well, the angel comes along and says, God has remembered you. God recognizes you. He sees you and he accepts your offerings and wants to give you Jesus. You see, he accepts Cornelius, not in the sense that he was saved before he met Jesus or before he heard about Jesus, but accepted in the sense of um, being ready to hear about Jesus, being somebody that 
uh, that God recognized, being somebody that God wanted to tell about Jesus. Um, even the best of us need more than good works. Even the best of us need more than just believing in God generally. Even the best of us need more than just doing good stuff and giving to the poor, even more than just praying. We need to know Jesus, the one who would bring peace on earth between us, between Gentiles and Jews and all the different other dividing walls we have in the church. The peace between us, but also between us and God, because he would take away our sins and make it possible for us to be forgiven. Take away all the darkness, all of the gap, all of the history that exists between us and God, where we've turned our backs on him, where we've tried to live our own way. Jesus has come to die for that, to take what we deserve, to take all that darkness, to take all that sin, to take our judgment, to take it away that we could be forgiven and give us life, life that lasts even through death and out the other side. Life in the face of our greatest enemies because Jesus defeated the devil. Not only has he forgiven sins, not only has he defeated death so we don't have to be afraid of it anymore, but he's the victorious king. Do you see that in the passage? That's in verse 38 we read a minute ago. He went around doing good and healing and rescuing everyone who was under the power of the devil. The devil who comes to, to lie to us, and tell us that God doesn't want anything to do with us or that God isn't that good or that we're too sinful to ever come to church or that nobody would ever welcome us and accept us. The devil speaks lies like that. He also keeps us blind, stops us from seeing God for who he is, stops us from seeing ourselves for who we really are. The devil loves to bind people up and to take us away from God. Jesus has come to defeat him to open our eyes, to set us free, to cut our chains off. He's come so that he would be our master and our Lord. That's what Peter calls him. He's the Lord of all at the end of verse 36, not just of the Jews, not just Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews anymore. He's now the King of all nations. In fact, he's the one that they spoke about right back in the prophets. Psalm 22, verse 27, all of the ends of the earth, will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Isaiah chapter two. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above all the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He'll judge between the nations, will settle disputes for many peoples. They'll beat their swords into plowshares, no more war, and their spears into pruning hooks, no more fighting. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, even if you're not part of the physical descendants of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You see, all of us need Jesus. All of us need a new king, a new peace that can't be brought by politics or by, by victories in any kind of war, that can't be brought by any kind of good deeds in our own um, lives, can't be brought by any kind of recognition from other people or any kind of wealth or coming from any country or settling or living in any place. You can't have, any, you can't have that peace in any way other than coming to King Jesus, the one who's Lord of all. So whoever you are, we need each other. Whoever you are, however good you are, you need Jesus. You need him to forgive you and to welcome you into his family. What's the last thing that we learn? Well, God is the one who's behind this all, isn't he? 
He's the one who's building his church. It's the Spirit who's speaking to Cornelius through that angel, telling him to send for Peter. It's the Spirit who's speaking to Peter, explaining this weird thing about the animals and how now everybody's, anybody's welcome in his presence. It's the Spirit who says, go with these men, don't hesitate. It's the Spirit who, even halfway through Peter's sermon, before they do any human actions like dipping somebody in water or laying hands or anything like that, he's just preaching a sermon. And the Holy Spirit comes whenever he wants to and fills these people, these Gentiles, far away, brings them near. God is the one who's behind this, by his Spirit, lifting up his Son so that all of us, all of us who need him, and that's everyone, would call on him and see him and be part of what he's doing, part of his church that he is building. So are you discouraged about the state of the church at the moment? Have you been a Christian for a long time and you've seen congregations dwindle and churches shut their doors? You've seen people wander away from following Jesus and you think, well, it feels like it's all falling apart. Don't, don't despair. God is building his church. His spirit is at work among us. He's building his church. Are you somebody who's, who's just new to this? Who's coming in and thinking, is there really any spiritual reality here? Isn't it just tradition and morality? And, I don't know, people interested in historical stories? No, it's a lot more than that. If you want to know true spirituality, you want to know true spiritual life, well, this is, this is what it is. It's Jesus who came into history, was born in a place called Bethlehem, raised up in a place called Nazareth, preached and spoke all over the country and died in a place called Jerusalem, and then rose again in a real body three days later to be king over everything and one day to be judge He'll be the one who you stand before at the end of your life and tell him what you did with your life. He'll be the one who asks, did you recognise me as your Lord? Did you recognise me as the King? Did you welcome my peace as I offered it to you? Or did you turn away from me again? Jesus is the one who's the Lord, who's the King. All of us need him. All of us will one day face him. And he gives us his spirit now to forgive us, to bring us in to make us part of his church with one God, one Father, one Lord, one Spirit, in one body together. See, that's the thing about the animals. Some were clean, some were dirty. Now, all of them can be together. That was the thing about the people. Cornelius and the Gentiles used to be far away, and the Jews were the ones who were the close ones. Now we're together. We need each other, so come get involved in church. If you haven't been back for a while, now's the time. Come get stuck in. We'd love to see you back. We need you. And you need us. And all of us need Jesus. If you haven't come close to him yet, if you haven't admitted who you are, if you haven't asked him to forgive you, now's the time. Would you let him, by his spirit, show you who you really are, show you who he really is, and bring you to be a part of his church? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you bring us into a community, a community of people from every tribe and tongue and nation, from all different nations. Help us, Lord, to love each other. It can be so difficult to do that when people are different from us, when people are annoying to us, when people look down on us, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to love each other as you have loved us, even loving your enemies, even giving your life up for people like us. Lord, help us to love each other like that. We need each other and we need your love to be poured into our hearts. Lord, help us to see Jesus and to come and trust in him this morning, whether that's for the thousandth time as we come and recommit our lives. Lord, whether it's for the first time, we ask that you would, by your spirit, work in our hearts and build us into your family. Amen.